welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. You guys know I take my sponsorships really seriously here on this podcast. I want to introduce the sponsor for the next five episodes in the Women's Health by Heather Hirsch podcast, the Millie Device. The Millie Device is an all-in-one vaginal trainer with millimeter by millimeter gradual expansion and built-in vibration, helping women overcome vaginal tightness and dryness, which leads to vaginal penetration or insertion difficulties. For more information, go to millieforher.com, and that is spelled M-I-L-L-I-F-O-R-H-E-R.com. You definitely want to check this out. Thank you, Millie, for sponsoring today's episode. Hey, ladies. It's so great to be back this week. So quick update on my life. The attic is done. Yes, it looks so cool. I mean, we really took like an old dingy attic with the spider webs and the whole nine, the nails coming through, and turned it into a living space. It's so exciting. So now I got to find the right desk. It's like one challenge after another. But I always find new spaces are inspiring. New spaces are essentially a blank piece of paper that we can rewrite. And I really truly believe that the energy that you have in the space where you sleep, where you work, where you entertain, where you're with your family really makes a big difference. So I will update you on how the redecorating process is going. And if you have any suggestions, feel free to send them my way. Today's topic is, do I need my annual exam? Or do I need an annual exam? Or do I need an annual, someone to look at my vagina exam? And the answer that I give you might totally surprise you. Now, I wanna first put out a big disclaimer. I am not trying to disenfranchise a group of physicians for whom I have the highest respect for. And I certainly am, just putting it bluntly, not trying to put down my GYN colleagues for an annual exam. It's something that's been around forever and ever. It's something that's just imprinted in society. Like you brush your teeth every night. There's good science. You should do that. You go to your annual exam every year. But what the heck do you actually do at your annual gynecologic exam if you are done with childbearing and if you no longer need surgery? Those are my two big questions that I want to pose and talk about today. And then we can kind of weave in there, you know, what is the difference between having your annual exam with your internist or your family medical doctor who is looking at your chronic illnesses? So that's where we're going to go ahead and get into today. Now, this is a topic that's been on my mind a lot, and this is the place for me to just kind of get my thoughts out there. If you follow me over on Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc and often have you guys weigh in on topics, or I create whole podcast episodes out of questions you might ask in a direct message or comments that I might get on a post. But this one is just totally me wanting to just get it all out there. 
You may know, or if you didn't know, I used to work as an internist and also had a consultative menopause practice. I did both at the same time. It was thoroughly exhausting. Now I just see patients for consultative menopause. But when I did work as an internist, this was after my Women's Health Fellowship, and clearly I could do pap smears or answer basic GYN questions. So my patients would often ask me, do I need to go see my gynecologist? Or... They would say, well, I don't need you to do my GYN exam. I have an annual gynecologist. And I have to say this really got me a bit annoyed or angry at the system, not at my patients, obviously. And certainly there are many reasons that we see doctors once a year. They may be have become our friends. They may have delivered our children. You know, it's almost like your hairdresser that you can't break up with changing a doctor or telling a doctor you no longer need them can be very emotional. So we might go and we clearly know there's nothing that's really going to change from that appointment. But it also really brought to mind that an annual GYN exam for someone who specifically is no longer of childbearing age, right? You're not going to get pregnant. You don't need an obstetrician and doesn't need any further surgery. It really, really is my general opinion that you don't need to see a gynecologist every year after that. Now, what you should have is an internist or family doctor who can answer basic GYN questions and do your pap smear when you need it, which is becoming more infrequent because of the change in cervical cancer screening guidelines. And that is a little bit of a mystery hump to get over, especially for patients trying to navigate like who's going to look where is confusing. And it's not so much that it totally relies on you, although in this episode, I'm going to talk about what you can do, but it also relies on the medical system. And so I just kind of want to put these ideas out into the world and tell you what I'm doing. Again, the difference in training between OBGYNs and internal medicine doctors or family doctors is that OBGYNs spend a majority of their residency education learning obstetrical medicine and surgery. And depending on where your training was, or depending on the type of motivation of the resident involved, you can get varying levels of chronic disease education. And by chronic disease education, I mean things such as um, osteoporosis, which we expect our gynecologists to at least understand, uh, sexual health, which maybe your GYN understands or maybe does not, um, other things like cardiovascular disease, so metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, mental health disorders, which are becoming more, more recognized as chronic conditions that really need to be year, annually, uh, annually uh, discussed, such as anxiety, depression, OCD, adjustment disorder. And there's numerous other things that that essentially really are important to women in midlife that are considered chronic conditions or chronic illnesses, arthralgias, rheumatoid arthritis, joint aches and pains, chronic lower back pain, migraines, you name it, there's numerous things. And so again, in the opinion of myself, OBGYNs spend a majority of their time learning obstetrical medicine and surgery, and just a very little bit of time in the middle, which is handling chronic conditions. And that is 
again, not any one person's fault. This is a systemic uh, educational issue. This is how residents are trained. Now, I can always have one pinky toe to stand on because I was an OBGYN residence for a little over a year and then realized that I was better suited for a slower pace of internal medicine. Now, internal medicine residency is not perfect either. Internal medicine residents, on the other hand, don't get a lot of GYN experience or they don't want GYN experience, or there's this idea that it's territorial, that oh, the OBGYNs will handle the pap smear or the pelvic exam. And they learn a lot about chronic conditions, cardiovascular diseases, you know, neurological conditions, infectious diseases mental health conditions, you name it. And they unfortunately spend a lot of time in the hospital. So but all residents spend the majority of their time actually in a hospital setting, which is an acute setting. Acute means you're dealing with something urgently, right? When you're hospitalized. But if you ask me, the magic happens in the clinical setting. The magic happens in the outpatient setting. The magic of helping someone to start a new medication, to decide what's best for them, to help change their lifestyle, to change their mindset, all happens in the clinical setting. And residents, those are doctors who have graduated medical school and spend three to seven years in training, i.e. following other attending doctors, do not get enough time in clinic. But a lot of internal or family medicine specialties and leaders, thought leaders, are really pushing to include more women's health in their training. And this has actually gotten a little bit better, specifically in areas such as contraception, a little bit about reproduction, a little bit about how gestational conditions that you may have, preeclampsia, gestational hypertension, or gestational diabetes, play a role in your chronic health and your chronic uh, risk factors, a little bit about sexual health, a teeny weeny bit about menopause. And clearly, you know, you probably listened to my podcast before and I have larger thoughts on that, but it's getting there. And so a lot of internal medicine and family medicine trained doctors can do a basic pelvic exam. Now, it is actually something that is required for them in their ACGME, which is their graduate medical education requirements, is to do X number of pelvic and pap smears. Now, checking off the box in is always different than real life. It's easy to check off the box, but then go and get your first job and say, uh, well, I'm not going to do that. Or uh, a lot of my patients already have gynecologists, so I'm not going to do that. But again, I think this pendulum is really swinging because women are also starting to say like, why do I need to see a gynecologist if someone look in there? Like, is that really, is that really worth my time? It's mm, going to argue that it's not. And if you can have someone who can address those and do those when they're needed, you can do one-stop shopping. Now, in my opinion, this is really the dream. This is a dream for everyone. For my gyne, gyne colleagues, they can focus on obstetrics and doing the surgery and seeing their patients in between or seeing them for a consult for surgery or seeing something something for a, a very high specialty referral. And internists, well, they can focus on the things that they're really good at, which is chronic management, getting to know their patients, being able to answer all their questions in one place. So I'm going to next get into what I think 
uh, medical professionals and I am trying to do, and then a little bit about what I think that you could also do, how you can help me in this mission, and how you can help other people. Because just like I said, GYNs win, internists win, but you also win. You're not going to a doctor's appointment that you simply don't need. You're not at risk for tests that are uh, potentially risky, and that's because they might find in something incidental, and then you have something more to do about something that really isn't a big deal anyways. And they just reduce the healthcare costs. They just reduce the number of medical appointments that are unnecessary. So stick around. Let's get right into that. I just want to remind you that my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know, Your Doctor Never Told You, is available for you to take online at your own pace. This six-hour course that I created covers everything you could ever want to know about menopause. Ideally, it's like sitting with me in an office and having a long conversation about menopause, the definitions, the facts, and the evidence behind making the right decision for you. In this course, I really walk you through how to come out of this journey feeling confident and successful instead of confused and frustrated, which is what I find so many women go through and why I became a menopause doctor and why I created this course for you. If you want to learn more about the course, simply go to my website, heatherhirschmd.com slash course. Thanks, old Heather, for the ad. And seriously, if you want to take a look at my course, the first lesson is free. So you can get the link to my course either by going to my Instagram bio and going to uh, click through it there, or it's linked on almost all of my YouTube videos, which is Health by Heather Hirsch, a rapidly growing platform. And there you get to see me talk and hear my dog and sometimes get cameos for my dog. All right, so what is my opinion? Do you need an annual GYN exam. I don't think you do. If you are no longer of childbearing age, you're not planning on having children, you don't need an obstetrician, and you don't need a GYN surgery. You are just a otherwise healthy postmenopausal female. And going to the GYN's office, again, remember, you, one, don't need a pap smear every year. I did a whole podcast on pap smears and guidelines recently changed, like in late 2020. But again, the guidelines are really to spread out pap testing if you've had normal pap smears. So if they've been abnormal or if there is concern for cervical pathology, this puts you really in that surgical consult category. So I'm, I'm sort of moving you back to, yeah, then you should go to your exam. But if you have normal pap smears, healthy cervix, you don't need a pap test every year, and you actually really don't need someone to look at the vagina every single year unless there's an issue. And what would those issues be? Well, painful intercourse, which is probably vaginal atrophy or genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which I've talked about at great length on my podcast and on YouTube, and is something that I definitely think your internist should be able to help you with, and should is the key word, 
right? If they can't, that's sort of where we need to build those bridges so that we can get one-stop shopping. And what else could be a reason to look in the vagina? If there's a concern for sexually transmitted infection, which most internists, and every time I say internist, I mean a family practitioner as well, could also be able to answer. If you're having itching or burning, that's hopefully something they could also answer as well as, and including sexual health concerns, which may be actually brain, like, you know, low sexual desire. A lot of that kind of comes from our brain and things like orgasmic and climax disorder are something that actually neither internists or OBGYNs are often that wonderful at unless they've had extensive extra education in sexual health. And again, that's why I am doing all of these things. I get to stand on my soapbox every day, and I am so lucky to have so many of you listen and rally along with me and send these podcasts to friends and grow this menopause tribe, because what are the things I'm doing? I'm trying to stand up and say, these things need to be changed in terms of the way doctors are trained. And while that's not something, if you're not a healthcare provider, you can you know, help with maybe directly, it's hard for me to do when I'm a healthcare provider, you can start to demand more. You know, you can also join me in that cry. You can repost these. You can send them to your friends. Heck, you can even send these to your physicians who are, you know, hopefully my colleagues across the country so that we start to really realize that there's a common thread here. One, that women's health education is lacking both among internal medicine and family uh, trained doctors, and even among GYN doctors, because they are so focused on those two extremes, which is obstetrical medicine and really complex surgery that they need a lot of time to train for. So that leaves this gray zone of uh, pelvic exams, uh, GYN health, uh, GYN cancers, um, sexual health, menopause, uh, sort of in the middle, sort of in the gray zone. So what am I doing? Well, certainly I am not alone in feeling this way. Numerous of my colleagues and friends and mentors across the country feel the same way. And so we are trying to build and bridge the gap, that gray zone between OBGYN and internal medicine, so that internists really can start to take over some of these uh, conditions, questions, whatever you want to call them. Because a lot of times these are chronic and a lot of times internists are really well trained in managing things long term. They're really good at and they like and enjoy and have a little bit more time to counsel and sit and talk with you through what this means in terms of the other medications that you're taking and the other chronic diseases that you have and how long this treatment is and what the risks and benefits of that is with your other medications. And so they're well equipped to do things like this. And so if we can take that model of teaching internists and family medicine doctors a lot about contraception and how to put uh, long acting contraception devices in place like IUDs and Nexplanons, and we can transplant that to the later reproductive years, perimenopause, menopause, uh, genitourinary syndrome of menopause, osteoporosis, sexual health, we can really build that gap. So a lot of us are educating, and we educate at many different levels. I educate locally. I teach medical students at Harvard Med. I teach residents at the Brigham and Women's Hospital where I work and see patients. I also give numerous local lectures, uh, regional lectures, and then national lectures on how to, uh, to, to help your patients with these conditions that I just rattled off. And that's one way I can do it. 
I certainly have a podcast and a YouTube and a social media where I can vent and I can continue to encourage the spread of ideas. And, you know, certainly I am not alone. Many of my other colleagues have either engaged with me or have interacted with me or are already doing amazing research projects on these topics. In fact, there are numerous thought leaders that I look up to that I am so excited to read their publications and to see what they're researching in terms of medical education and how they're expanding some of these women's health issues into the internal medicine, family medicine sphere. So it's happening and that's really exciting. So I'm certain trying to do my part. And I know that there are so many other people who are trying to do their part so that you can, your life can be a little bit more streamlined so that you don't have to get unnecessary tests so that you can see one doctor who could eventually do everything for you. So as promised, what are the things that you can do? Well, it's actually really not so far-fetched to actually just start by talking with your doctor. Ask them what they can and what they can't do. A lot of times when I was an internist, they would say, well, I don't need my pap smear because I'll be going to my gynecologist next week. And I would kind of like stop myself. Like I could certainly do someone's pap test and save them that visit, but they certainly said it in a way that they were either excited about it or that it was just kind of on their list and I was just meeting them and I didn't want to, you know, introduce something new or change their plans or make them feel like they, they didn't need to see their old doctor. So you could simply start by asking your doctor. On the other hand, I also had plenty of patients that were like, I know you do women's health. Can you do everything? Cause that would be awesome. And so Certainly think about asking your doctor if he or she feels comfortable uh, answering routine uh, GYN questions such as, what if I have uh, a sexually transmitted infection? What if I have painful intercourse? What if I need a pap test? Uh, how often do I need pap tests? Those are actually always changing. Um, and those basic concerns and questions. And, co- and if they can do all those things, then certainly it probably makes sense to just have one person following the majority of your things. And it certainly can be hard to say goodbye to one doctor, especially if they were there for you and delivered your babies and helped you through your pregnancies. Or they were there for some kind of, you know, emergency uh, C-section or trauma. You know, it can be really hard to break off those relationships. But don't think of it as breaking off a relationship. You certainly can still uh, send them a card every year. You certainly can still wish them well. You certainly can, you know, still be grateful. But you certainly, you know, might not need to have that doctor look in the vagina every year. It's just that simple. Now, I alluded to the fact that there is some evidence showing that pelvic exams when a pap smear is not needed just to do it can actually also be harmful. Now that kind of makes little sense because you're like, well, what harm could that harm could that be? Well, it starts with little things like you got to go to that appointment. You got to pay for it. It could be painful. It could cause trauma sometimes when it's painful. People tell me all the time they had a speculum exam and they remember how much it hurt. And then they think about how much they don't want to have sex because, you know, it's just that trauma. So something as simple as that. But also, looking in the vagina can sometimes cause people to say, well, maybe we should ultrasound this. Maybe we should image this. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And then they find nothing, but then they find something next to it, like a little fibroid or a little cyst. And what do you do about that? And then you're left sort of wondering, well, do I need surgery now? Just, and, you know, certainly... These are all complex questions because incidental finding means, well, now we've found something. (laughs) So that's sort of the reason why we don't want to 
we we always say we don't want to like go scanning your whole body because there are things there and they're mostly benign. But once we know it's there because we're curious and we're an intelligent, you know, community and we have resources, you know, people are like, well, we have to find out what exactly it is. Is. And so it can lead you down a rabbit hole. And that's why a lot of internists um, and some gynecologists, it just, you know, it all depends, really do recognize the research that's showing that even doing an annual pelvic exam once a year can have risks. Now, you can also argue the other side. And just to play my own devil's advocate, certainly, yes, you could find something that looks concerning for cancer or that would probably be the biggest concern or some other condition like a vulvar condition that would be concerning. Now, the way you can rationalize this is, of course, you could go both ways. Depends on the person. You know, are you a conservative person? Do you want to know absolutely everything? Are you more of like, eh, there's not a problem. Let's not go fixing it. I also look at my tissue. I look at my vagina. I know what the outside skin looks like. Uh, I know what conditions are in my family. I know my health pretty well. You know, certainly there's a lot of factors. It's not a yes or no. And then it also comes down to something called number needed to treat. So essentially what that means is how many times you have to look in people's vaginas once a year to find a cancer um, and compare that to how many times you look in the vagina and you find an incidental finding that causes downstream risks. So I hope I'm kind of making sense. And again, it's it's not that there's a right or wrong. It's just that my perspective is that if we have an internist or a family medicine doctor who is caring for your chronic health and can do these basic GYN things, there's no reason to have a second office visit once a year just to have someone say hi and how are you and how are your kids and how is your husband and how is your trip and let's quickly look in your vagina. If someone is doing a pap smear every single year, that's also probably not the standard of care. That's not the standard of care. There's no probably, I, I but I'm just too lazy to go back and delete it. That is not the standard of care. Care. So you don't need a pap smear every single year, especially for women who've had normal pap smears multiple in a row. That's just crazy. And you should maybe ask about that. So, you know, you could always ask your doctors, what could they do? You can really think through what will risks can I accept? What is better for me? What is easier for me? Don't be afraid to say like, it's easier to have one appointment than it is to have two every year. So think about what's best for you and then demand better. I know that you guys do demand better. You listen to this podcast, you listen to other like-minded physicians and healthcare providers and just all the wonderful different kinds of information that's out there on sexual health and pelvic floor. And it's just, it's, you know, I think we're in a time where uh, we are having this shift of like, yes, women in midlife are owning their health. Um, And that's so exciting to be a part of or to even think that I'm a part of that. Um, But you are, you are the, the vehicle that keeps that wheel turning. You are the reason we do these podcasts and we love seeing patients and we love just like making a mark in this movement and improving the care of women's health in midlife and at menopause. Whew. I could talk for a long time. Whenever I see my patients in clinic, I kind of always think, no wonder I have a podcast and I try to keep it to around 30 minutes because otherwise I could talk forever. But so those are my final thoughts. Do you need an annual GYN exam? If you are a healthy postmenopausal woman, not having a child anytime soon or surgery, no. I think that you could find an internist or family medicine doctor who could do your pap smears when they're needed, which likely are infrequent or every few years, and help answer questions on genitourinary syndrome of menopause or sexual health or vaginal health in general. And if you can't, 
I then think probably the best bet is to find a specialist. You all know that I think the best kind of specialist for this is either someone who's NAMS certified. NAMS stands for the North American Menopause Society. I talk about it in almost every podcast, and you can find uh, a NAMS doctor by going to their website, menopause.org, and searching under Find a Provider. Another growing organization I'm so proud to be a part of is Ishwish, the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. It is a long name, but they also have their own website where you can find a doctor for sexual health questions. And I think that's probably your best bet. It's not any one doctor's fault. By no means. This is the way that medical education has evolved in the last several decades. And this is the way that residents are taught. And there's very little say in terms of how residents receive education. Now, a lot of people in the medical education world are trying to improve this, like myself. And there are things that you can do, such as asking your doctors what they can do for you, trying to find a doctor that's going to fit you the best for what your needs are and demanding better. So don't forget to send this podcast to a friend, a neighbor, a sister, a daughter, whomever you think needs to hear it, because this podcast is consistently getting higher and higher in the iTunes charts and more and more listeners. And that is so cool. And again, it's not cool because it's cool for me. It's cool for me, but it's cool because how exciting to see a podcast based on midlife menopausal health be at the top of the charts and to really make change in terms of things like medical education and the way that we socially, culturally, and politically view women's health at midlife and especially at menopause. So you guys are doing amazing work. Please feel free to check out my resources. Everything's on my website, heatherhirschmd.com. You can also go to my Instagram at hormone.health.doc. I, every once in a while, post on Twitter. I'm at heatherhirschmd. And of course, my YouTube is really, really so fun. I'm having a great time on that platform and it's Health by Heather Hirsch. So you type in Heather Hirsch and I kind of pop up since I kind of named everything by my name. Thank you. If you loved this show, leave it a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcast. I will be back next week and I have a special exciting announcement. So stay tuned. I'll see you guys next Wednesday. Bye everyone.